Good evening, Boston, and welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. Arbor Day is a time to embrace nature and celebrate the beauty of our world. And young students at the David A. Ellis School got hands-on experience with their surroundings. Last Friday, as spring buds bloomed, the students of David A. Ellis School in Roxbury were treated to a day of sunshine as they planted trees and guarded in celebration of Arbor Day. Students learned the importance of tree cover, growing food, and the process of planting new life. We're planting native species and trees, uh, really allowing the, the students to get their hands dirty and, and to, to really be part of planting vegetation that will hopefully be here for years to come. Um, and lots of really wonderful smiles and, you know, oh, you know, I found a worm kind of comments that, that really um, are showing us that the kids are connecting with, you know, with nature, with the environment and seeing why it's so important to them. Through gardening, students fully engage their senses to see, touch, and smell the soil, fresh air, and plants that they'll tend to in the coming seasons. They are getting their hands dirty. They are learning how the water cycle impacts them on a daily basis. And they are actually doing it. They are planting the trees and planting the flowers and learning more about how, you know, food comes to their table, how we plant the trees and get the shade and how the water cycle works. So it's just a tremendous day for our kids to actually be engaged in the hands-on authentic learning. In an effort to develop tactile skills and better understand urban greenery, Boston Public Schools is promoting programs that encourage students to get outside and explore their environment. We want to, in BPS, make sure that our students are well-versed and educated in uh, urban landscaping and making sure they understand what the nature is and how it impacts their lives in general. It's really important for children these days to understand uh, the importance of trees and the role that trees can play. Not only do they provide shade in the summertime and for these kids to be playing on the playground, that's really, really important uh, to have that cooling effect from trees. They also filter the air that they breathe and helping to make clean oxygen for these children to breathe. And they also help to prevent runoff as well, which particularly in a city is important that the, 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 the water is held in the soil. So these trees provide so many benefits for these children. And it's really important for them to see how they're planted, uh, to learn how to dig the earth, to feel the earth in their, uh, in their hands and to give them that connection to the ground. Although they got their pants a bit muddy, it was worth it for students to venture outside and discover the world around them in a fresh way. If you're blurred and you know it, clap your hands because you're probably living your best life at the Boston Comics and Color Festival last weekend. Boston Comics and Color Festival triumphantly returned for its third year last Saturday at Reggie Lewis Track and Athletic Center. And it was deeply satisfying for blurreds to indulge in comics and stories featuring people of color. I like hanging out with other blurreds. And blurreds, just as a side note, is a black nerd. You know, we, we see, you know, Lando Calrissian was our hero because representation matters isn't just a slogan or a hashtag. It's when the world is a bigger and brighter place, when we can see ourselves in these heroic, complicated, you know, deep stories. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., the first of its kind festival in Boston brought the cosplay and comics with a bang. Creators were able to share and sell their work directly with attendees, in addition to panel discussions, workshops, and vendor art available. Creators of the festival could not deny the magic Boston's Black comic community has to offer. Always, um, I've looked at in terms of the art scene in Boston, it's great to have programs 
but you need institutions. You need things that you can depend on that will last. Whether they have on brick and mortar or they have just the sweat equity of people willing this thing into existence. Um, this is almost like Nirvana, like a Shangri-La, kind of popping up and then disappearing. But the comics community of which I'm a part of is, this is very familiar, this is how we get down. And, and this is, in the black community, this is also how we get down. We, we, we make things, we come together and we put it together and make magic happen. So I'm really excited that other people are getting it and now there are generations of people who expect it. And if you're curious how you can be a creator at next year's festival, take some advice from Niall Hennick, who is there for his ninth festival. Try and get out there, like, um, like spend, a, um, like, I just came up with my characters by making a few sketches, and then I, um, and then I drew them for real on in my notebook for like months. And then, um, by the time, and by the time like six months were over, I finally had a few actual fleshed-out characters. So the thing to do is really just work on it and work hard. In downtown Boston, the New Democracy Coalition connected the past to the present, inviting Boston residents to take part in the sixth annual public reading of Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, Beyond Vietnam. Martin Luther King Jr.'s inspiring words have led our country through some of its most challenging times, especially during the Vietnam War. And on Tuesday, residents from across the city, over 200 in total, gathered at Boston City Hall Plaza to read Dr. King's iconic 1967 speech condemning the Vietnam War. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. So we watched them in brutal solidarity, burning the hunts of, of a poor village, but we realized that they would never live on the same block in Detroit. On April 4, 1967, MLK delivered his speech, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence, in which he criticized the war and called attention to the American government's hypocrisy in sending white and black troops to fight together when they were segregated in their home country. For King, it was wrong for the U.S. to care more about the foreign affairs of Vietnam than address the racial and economic inequities plaguing our country. Dr. King was uh, a son of this city in some ways, and we read his words, his speeches, and his sermons in order to capture uh, his philosophy and capture his ideas around a beloved community. Boston, in some ways, even in 2023, is a divided community. There are racial inequities, there are health disparities, and we're seeking, through the reading of these words, to invoke his message around nonviolence and brotherly and sisterly engagement with each other. King called for a unilateral ceasefire and claimed that America had made peaceful revolution impossible by refusing to give up the privileges and pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. He urged a radical revolution of values and to emphasize love and justice rather than economic nationalism. There is at the outset a very obvious and almost facile connection between the war in Vietnam and the struggle I and others have been waging in America. It's not just the sound bites that we often are attributing uh, him to, the I have a dream and, 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 and so forth, 
We're talking about racial justice. We're also talking about economic justice, uh, peace movements. Everything is intersectional, uh, and that's what uh, that's what people need to understand is the solidarity between all of those different movement spaces and what uh, Dr. King stood for. The speech was considered an act of rebellion at the time and was largely attacked by pro-war media like the New York Times and Washington Post. Today, his speech is as relevant as ever, empowering global citizens to speak up against injustice every time, everywhere. And he was saying the countries also have to be nonviolent. We as a world community have to get together. And we have to li listen to our adversaries. Well, we've, we're angry at Russia, we're angry at China. We have to talk to them. We have to find a way to live together. So that's how we apply Martin's lesson today. Let us march on till victory is won. Churches can transcend religion. They're a place to gather and connect as a community. That's why one parish is fighting to keep the Spirit and Truth Baptist Church going. These doors are locked now, but the loyal church members of Spirit and Truth Baptist Church on 616 Blue Hill Ave are determined to see these doors welcome them in once again. There's always someone in a congregation that needs something. And so very often, there's someone in that congregation who can give you, lead you to, help you get assistance in whatever it is, housing, childcare, a new job, new training, whatever it is. And that is why it's so important uh, that this congregation exists so that people do have that sense of support in their own community. Well, we've always had places of faith as the whole community is around faith. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different religions in Roxbury, um, and every church is important. We don't want to see churches close up. And this was a very active church once, and it isn't anymore. But now they're trying to bring it back. Last Saturday, church members gathered outside Spirit and Truth to shed light on the ongoing dispute within. On March 8th, the church received an order of foreclosure after being placed in receivership when building violations were not repaired. Members allege Pastor Stanley Deese and his lawyers have made false claims and withheld crucial information from the presiding judge, specifically two church board votes on September 25, 2021 and January 16, 2022, expressing not to sell Spirit and Truth Baptist Church. Passionate members say they not only have the money to repair and keep the church, but there's a grander vision to redevelop the full block owned by Spirit and Truth to pour back into Dorchester's black community. We have $1.7 million that has been unanimously agreed on by our members twice in membership votes, not board of trustee votes. And we want to buy this church back and Dorchester Bay is giving us $1.7 million. They're going to develop all of our programs to help the community. We need a black church to help the community with jobs and that's what we're doing. We're going to help the community with education improvement. We're going to help the community with low income housing, not affordable, low income housing and black history theater performances for the people. We need this church and we need the judge to hear us that we're in unison. All of our votes are unison. It's more about the city of Boston allowing one man and his family to turn, sorry for this, to, to turn their back on the black community. 
And I say that with all sincerity. He's a black man from the South himself. He should know better. And all the other pastors that I've asked, they all say, well, let God deal. Let God, let God do it. Let God. God is not going to break the sky and come down here and set order. It's for us to do it. He has to listen to someone. And if the judge is not the one he's going to listen to, the attorney he's not going to listen to, or the pastors are not, everybody is like, well, it's not my bad. It's not for me. It's not for me. Somebody's got to do something. And that's why we're out here today. A 2022 Harvard study shows formerly incarcerated people in Massachusetts struggle to find housing and jobs after release, motivating two women to create resources in Boston to assist re-entering women and trans people. BNN's Rin Velasco has more. Stacy Borden spent decades in prison. She started New Beginnings Reentry Services to help formerly incarcerated women find their future ahead. Why don't we change the law somehow and allow the families, the victims, to learn what restorative justice is. New Beginnings offers legal aid, housing, and peer support. With the help of workers like Shanita Jefferson, New Beginnings also offers a safe community for women impacted by mass incarceration. Most of our women, unfortunately, don't have any good experience with the criminal justice system, so they are coming with a lot of trauma. We're providing self-healing clinics. A recent report says Massachusetts has more than 6,000 people incarcerated in state prisons. Erin McLaughlin, a transgender house coordinator working with formerly incarcerated genderqueer people, says she thinks helping people heal from the trauma of prison is key. You have folks on the inside who are having to, you know, who feel like they have to try to hurt or kill themselves to get any attention from the DNC to get what they need. A transgender discrimination survey found that 15% of their over 6,000 trans respondents reported sexual assault incidents while incarcerated. An NBC News investigation found that over 4,000 trans people remain incarcerated in state prisons. Rin Velasco for BNN. To learn more about the work of Black and Pink Massachusetts, we invited Erin McLaughlin to the studio. Learn how she and the organization through Alexia Norena House are assisting re-entering citizens who identify as trans. I wanted to start with some of the, the statistics that um, is on Black and Pink's Massachusetts website. Uh, so one of the sobering uh, figures was that 47% of Black transgender people have been incarcerated. Why is the trans community so disproportionately affected when it comes to incarceration? Because I think we've managed to criminalize just about every way of being that isn't white, cis, and well-off. And so a lot of our folks, there's some evidence that suggests that just by existing as a trans person, you already are likely to have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. Just living, just from being trans. Not to mention combined with any other form of marginalization you might have. So then on that, it's completely normal for someone in that position to cope using substances, right? To engage in substance use or to have mood disruptions, right? To, mm -hmm. to act out in ways that other people are going to judge severely. And so I think in that way, we've managed to create a system that criminalizes that instead of caring for that and puts people in a box mm -hmm. instead of actually giving them access to resources and tools for them to start to heal from that. In addition, a lot of us simply can't rely on a traditional economy, right? We face loads of job discrimination. We have a lot of barriers to even 
getting to work on that, like such as our IDs, such as being able to feel like we can present in a professional capacity. Mm -hmm. Just walking down the street can be hard, let alone working in a customer service job where even, even cis white people have a bad time <laughs> most days. Uh, imagine being a black trans person and facing that day to day, and that's your only way of a legitimized income. Um, can you talk about some of the recent reforms and campaigns Black and Pink Massachusetts has been able to accomplish in terms of supporting transgender people who have uh, been incarcerated? Absolutely. So two of our biggest campaigns right now is for the Rights Act and for our sex work decriminaliza decriminalization work. And so for the Rights Act, it focuses a lot on conditions of confinement and improving what a lot of queer prisoners go through when they're incarcerated, right, in Massachusetts. Uh, it has a lot to do with trying to curb a lot of the abuse and discrimination that occurs inside these carceral institutions, especially as it relates to, say, disciplinary action, right, uh, that a lot of guards may disproportionately take against our queer folks. Then in addition to that, a lot of trans and queer people, again, talking about, right, uh, a lack of access to a traditional economic resource, right. uh, a lot of our folks engage in sex work that also has to do with the innate sexualization that says people put on trans bodies. So a lot of us end up turning to sex work as a way and as a means of living in society and engaging with society. Mm. And so one of our big campaigns right now is to decriminalize that, right? So that we stop taking people who are just trying to do a job and putting them in a box. You are the house coordinator of the Alexia Norena House. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Alexia Norena House came to fruition and what are some of the unique challenges that trans people face in rebuilding a life um, after being released from prison? Absolutely. So a lot of the ways the house came to be was through tragedy and luck. We had a member, it's named after one of our members, Lexi, who uh, passed due to an overdose and who had a lot of difficulties finding secure housing, right? And so a lot of our efforts after that were to focus on the issues that our trans members face when they're trying to reenter into society from incarceration, and especially as it comes to housing. And uh, it just so happened that at one of the uh, spaces in which we were talking about this and a lot of the things that need to be done that just aren't being done, we had someone in the community who happened to have a space. Mm -hmm. And she came to us and she said, hey, I really like what you're saying. I'd love to see you run something. And that's how it started to come to be. Uh, and so fast forward a couple months, I come on board. We start accepting folks into the house. And yeah, now we've been around just about a year. And in terms of some of the unique supports, Really, I think one of the biggest ones is just a non-judgmental space around letting folks live, yeah. right? For what may be the first time in their lives, being able to walk into a space in which they aren't constantly being observed and judged, right? And discriminated against for being trans and for being formally incarcerated. And this can look like a lot of different things, right? Sometimes people just need a week where all they do is sleep in and watch movies, right? Yeah and giving them that space to be like, <clears throat> to accept them for who they are and what their healing journey looks like, that's something a lot of other places don't do. A lot of places focus on such a, a concrete, okay, we need to hit the ground running, you need to constantly be working, doing this, that, mm -hmm. right, and the other. And that leaves out the human aspect, right, the part that comes from healing in this reentry work. Then, of course, we have trans-specific care, right, and so a lot of what we do 
focuses more concretely on helping people to get access to hormones, helping people start to change their name on their ID, right? right. Helping people, a lot of our folks come in without an ID in the first place, cis or trans, and I imagine that you're also trans, you're trying to first get the ID so you can then change the ID, right? Mm -hmm. You have to go through a whole bunch of different rabbit holes on that. Uh, then also we've been lucky enough to be able to provide access to voice training, right? And in addition to that, uh, one part of it is just lack of supportive networks. A lot of our cis members, when they come out, it's never a good time being released from prison, right? Like never an easy time, I'll say. It's, it's a great time to not be incarcerated anymore, but it's never easy getting out there. And a lot of our trans folks don't have access to the same family, friends, and resources that all of other people do. And so being able to accept them into a home that has other trans people who have been where they've been in their lives mm -hmm. is such a fundamentally unique and wonderful space to allow people to engage in. And what message do you have for those who are coming to Black and Pink Massachusetts for resources? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest messages is that we, as Black and Pink, are an open working family. We can't always do everything, but we promise that we will be there for you during this time. We see you, we hear you, and we are trying our best to hold you in that family space, right? To just work towards everyone building a, a loving community in which we don't have to rely on prisons and police. That doesn't mean that we can just completely overturn it overnight. I know a lot of our folks sometimes feel like things aren't happening that they wish could be happening. And so I think my main message is that we're always there for you when you need us. If you tuned in for last week's broadcast, you already know that Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater is performing at the Box Center Wang Theater now through May 7th. And tickets are available at CelebritySeries.org. To talk about the show, we invited Baylin Andira Pereira, an esteemed dancer and Lawrence native who has been with the Ailey Company since 2011. Enjoy our conversation. May 4th through 7th at the Box Center Wang Theater, Ailey will share nine moving works, four of which are making their Boston premieres by new contemporary dance makers and veterans such as Twyla Tharp. Um, what are you most excited for audiences to experience? You have Jamar Roberts in a sentimental mood. Like, he's a genius. <laughs> you know, anything he touches, like, turns into brilliance. And so that's a beautiful duet that cannot be missed. There's duet that is choreographed by Paul Taylor. I get to dance in that, and that's like this rich uh, story of a, a couple who has been together for many years. And so that's, it's a very ethereal kind of feeling. 4-4 um, four, four by Robert Battle. I, I actually was a, the original cast in that, and mm. that's a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong. You come to an alien show, you're gonna be blown away, and not just by the choreography, but the dancers. Wow. Um, incredible specimens, um, beings, and you're going to be rejuvenated and it's going to be inspiring. So I wouldn't put anything above anything else. You have to see it all. <laughs> um, there's also Survivors that's going to be uh, showcased there, which is also by Mr. Ailey. And that's the story of Nelson, Nelson and Willie, Winnie Mandela, uh, my apologies. And that's a really powerful ballet to watch. Um, it's an important story to remember. 
and to experience at the theater. So I thank Mr. Ailey for putting that together. I believe it was in 1986, so it was it was set again for this year for the first time after so long. And as you already said, you'll be performing in many of the works uh, for the run, uh, one of which is duet originally choreographed by Paul Taylor in 1964. Can you talk a little bit more about the story behind this dance and how exactly you prepared for this intimate dance? I love duet. It was an extraordinary process. Um, we got to work with Carolyn Adams, who was the original cast of that when she was in the Taylor Company. And She's just incredibly nurturing and forever giving. It was it was like a it was like receiving a, a waterfall of blessings in that space because it was very intimate. There was only two three couples, um, and we spent two weeks on it. Uh, so it was very concentrated, and she had two great assistants that we just circled back and back into you know, the product that you see on stage. But basically, yeah, the, the story is, is about that. It's about that, uh, a, a love that has lasted in time. So, you know, when you're 40 years in with someone, there isn't so much this, um, this neediness or, I mean, you can start without that in the beginning, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. um, but I'm saying some relationships and in, in its prime, there's the, you know, you're getting to know each other. So the beauty of this piece, there's like this through line of energy because um, they've been together for so long. So, you know, the entire piece is almost in suspension. Mm -hmm. We're kind of held when I, when I do it with my partner, Patrick Coker, um, it feels like we're held in a capsule, uh, in a time capsule. And you just happen to see you, it's like a it's like a moment extended. Uh, it's really beautiful and it's really special. And I highly recommend that you come watch it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. And I imagine like you've built so much trust doing it over oh, yeah. all of the, the time that you've been uh, cultivating it. Uh, yeah. And of course, you know, we got to talk some more about Revelations. It's been the, the signature piece of Ailey since premiering in 1960. It's been seen by millions across the globe. Um, I'd love to know why, why are audiences so enraptured by this work and what do you think Revelation says today? It is absolutely, you know, initially it was the experience of um, the black community, the African-American community in this country. And, the hurdles they had to move through to to make a, a, a place in, in in the world for themselves because it wasn't being given and so you know Mr. Ailey was trying to showcase the beauty of the black community and uh, the resilience the strength and the and regardless of all the obstacles you will always prevail there will always be celebration because there's always community and there's always hope and so that's equally every human experience <laughs> it's you know it's just showcased in 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 one particular way but anyone we go to any country and every soul can understand hmm. the journey because they themselves go through it in their own way every human is trying to figure out how to move closer to something higher how to um 
you know, in a dark place, how to remember what's important, what matters, mm -hmm. what is the anchor of life and how to pull through and how to be grounded in celebration. And, and because then you miss it, you miss the whole thing if you don't celebrate, right? You yeah. miss the whole experience if you stay in I'm buked and scorned. You gotta find the way up. And so I've seen audiences explode at the end of Revelations because something inside them said, yes, I understand and, and, and I resonate and I'm grateful for a reminder. Um, and, and the mirroring back of my experience. And so it's powerful and it will forever be. That's just the nature of the mastery that is Revelations is timeless. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. And each episode, don't you know, will be rebroadcast at 9.30 and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. You can also hear us on the radio Fridays at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. and Monday through Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amathedon. I'll see you next Friday.